Hello, Fellowship. I have an important announcement today that requires your prayer and participation. As a church body, it's time to nominate new elders to the elder board, as four of our current elders will be completing their terms of service next summer. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of all the congregations of fellowship. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And here is what we're asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Then, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to make a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one of those up in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 19th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate this process. Our desire is to be sensitive and responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we would like to thank Rod Easley, Steve Lampkin, Dick Nervig, and Steve Weber for their years of service as elders. They have served the Lord faithfully and diligently during their tenure and have represented you well. When you see them, please thank them personally. Blessings to each of you for your prayers and participation in this phase of the elder nomination process. Thank you. to build a relationship to begin conversations with adults but it was really sweet to see this you really get after a heart the heart of a person when you start talking about their kids or their grandkids there was probably 20 families from springdale we are stressed we can't afford gifts and i could step close and be like hey we have this thing called affordable christmas here's kind of how it works would you be interested in coming Christmas morning, those kids will unwrap their presents thinking my parents got these beautiful brand new gifts. With affordable Christmas, the parent becomes the hero. This is just the Spirit of God doing something that is so far above and beyond us. It's just uncontrollable. And once again, the goal is not the gifts. The goal is not the meal. The goal is not the stuff. The goal is these things become bridges to relationships, ultimately relationship to God, but coming through a relationship uh, with people. Nominations or the Affordable Christmas, they're both on the Mosaic News page. Jump on those quick before, uh, before you lose that opportunity. 
But obviously, there's something fun happening this evening, and that is our parent-child dedication. My name's Matt. I, I lead the family team here. I'm excited to, to be here with you. Uh, up here on the stage, we've just got families at this first stage of, of family building. They're, they're young families with little ones, and when I look at the, the room of people gathered here, we, we have a, a broad range of experience in parenting. Some of you are empty nesters. You raised kids for 30 years, and they've flown the coop onto their own, uh, into their own life. Some of you got kids at home still. Some of you are grandparents raising kids for a second time. Some of you have walked infertility or the loss of a child. Some of you uh, have had uh, kids in a previous relationship or... Uh, it's just a broad experience of what it means to be a parent in this room. And, and tonight, we get to come around these families and these children and celebrate with one another uh, as, as we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Uh, the parents have recorded prayers. Uh, and, and so as those play, would you just pray with these parents for these kids? Let's listen. Hattie Beth, you are sweet, vibrant, and beautiful. We love your energy and your love for people. Always remember that God, the creator of all, loves you more than anyone else and wants to be your friend. We are so excited to see you become more of who he made you to be. Psalm 9014 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Hattie, we pray that you will be fully satisfied in his love and be filled with joy all of your days. We love you very much and promise to do our best to love you, guide you, and show you Jesus. Josie, we're so thankful to be your parents. You have taught us about joy and goodness of the Lord in just a few short months. We ask that God teaches you about his love as the perfect father as we seek to be your imperfect mom and dad. We love you, Josie. Sweet Abby girl, God has been at work writing your story long before you were even born. We chose your name Abigail because we always want you to know how cherished you are by your Heavenly Father and also by your family here on earth. Your middle name Grace reminds us of what a gift we have in you, a beautiful gift from a loving Father that is beyond what we could ever deserve. You show us in new ways each day what an inexplicable gift it is to be adopted children of God. We pray your sweet little voice continues to sing of the goodness and love of God and that your sweet spirit points others to know and love him too. Izzy Bitty Baby Girl, you are our redemption story, our beautiful reminder that God can redeem all that has been lost and that he can be trusted to keep his promises. We chose your name, Isabel, which means pledged to God after years of praying and waiting for you. Your middle name, Hope, reminds us that our true hope is only found in Christ and that no matter how hard this life may get, there is always hope because of him. We love you both more than we could ever put into words. It is our prayer that both of you, sweet girls, grow to know and experience the love of God in every possible way, because when you focus on God's love, it changes everything. We pray that you will continue to love and support each other and that you grow up to be the best of friends. Above all, we pray that you grow to love God and love others well, and that each day you have on this earth is spent glorifying God and living out the calling he has for each of your lives. Sweet Eleanor, you have brought us more joy than we know what to do with. You have truly blessed our lives. 
We love getting to see you grow into a vibrant, loving, joyful girl God created you to be. As you grow up in a busy world, we pray that you would learn to rest well, enjoy God's presence, follow Him with all your heart, and love those He places you around. We are eager to see how God continues to use you in this world. I love the fact that kids just have no desire for pomp and circumstance. They're just calling the bluff for what it is. We, we just, it's great. And I also love every time they hear a parent voice, there's just something like a moment of confusion of like, what, what is happening? Why is dad's voice or mom's voice? What's happening? I just love that. Would you join me as we pray for the parents? I'm, I'm borrowing a lot of the phrases of this prayer out of uh, Douglas McKelvey's uh, Every Moment Holy. He's got a prayer called The Changing of Diapers, which just feels appropriate for this group. So pray with me. Father, whether it's changing diapers, consoling tears, challenging defiance, or cultivating humility, we pray that these parents would remember this truth. Their unseen labors are not lost, for it's these repeated acts of small sacrifice that, like a bright, ragged patches, are slowly being sewn into a quilt of loving kindness that swaddles these children in each moment of serving and loving, remind them that they are tending a budding heart that rooted early in such grace-filled devotion might one day be more readily inclined to bow to your compassionate conviction, knowing, it, knowing itself then is both a re receptacle and a reservoir of heavenly grace, as these parents themselves truly are. May your nearness carry them along in each of the 10,000 acts by which they are actively creating a culture of compassionate service and selfless love to shape the lives of their family, these beloved children, and your church. Amen. And, and now, congregation, we turn to you. You're, you're the people that'll be uh, greeters in the foyer. You'll be kind hosts of small groups. You'll be uh, sitting in classrooms with them. You'll be the, the person that shoes them away from the sugar dishes out there. That's, uh, there's some of you that take care of my family that way. Get out of there. Uh, you're, you're the people that will be church to these kids. And so uh, a prayer, again, borrowing from that for our involvement in what is to come for these kids. Open our eyes that we might see this act for what it is from the fixed vantage of eternity, O Lord. How each little thing, the changing of a diaper, might sit upstream of the changing of a heart. And how the changing of a heart might sit upstream of the changing of the world. Amen. One last chance for a, a cute pic or a smile, and then we will invite them off stage. So, in a way, blow a kiss. I know they've been yelling at grandmas and grandpas in the crowd there. All right, everybody, and y'all can snake your way backstage again. We got two final announcements for you, uh, and it is a little confusing, but the first is we've got an Advent family devotional book. Uh, we handed these same books out last year, so if you picked one up and you actually know where it is, you don't need to grab another one. Uh, just go uh, to the check-in booth in the foyer and grab this year's bookmark. It tells you which uh, day's reading goes with which calendar day. But if you don't have one, or uh, if you'd like one, we're not gonna turn you away if you're not kind of a family, per se, like a young family with kids. Uh, it's kind of geared toward that. So if you're somebody who wouldn't mind uh, thinking about the coming of Christ, 
but doing so with like, turn out the lights and grab a flashlight and think about how light pierces the darkness. If that's you, even if you're one of our older friends, by all means, grab one. I'm not gonna turn you away, but uh, it's definitely geared toward little kiddos. The second is the, the Advent devotionals. Those are the daily devos that are delivered to your inbox, uh, and these are written by the staff team. Uh, if you've subscribed in the past, you're still subscribed now, they'll show up. If you never have, text that number or jump on the, the Mosaic news page and you can find the link to subscribe. Uh, and it's, it's just, uh, we, we do any of these things to cultivate this, this waiting period as we're anticipating uh, the, the coming of the Christmas morning where we celebrate Christ's come, coming the first time. But it's really to cultivate in our hearts again this anticipation of when Christ comes again. We're all waiting on that day when it's all put aside, all the death and the tears and, and the, the sadness. But what is left is the celebration of life at the foot of the throne. And so as we gather here tonight, let us be in that space already. It's not quite Advent season yet, but of waiting with anticipation for his coming. Let's do it. Well, what's up, Mosaic? Go ahead and stand to your feet. I think a lot of you probably know this song, Shout to the Lord. Let me hear you sing this. My Jesus. My Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength.
are getting ready to sing a song called Behold Him. We've sang this before. I love the chorus. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the Lamb, the Roaring Lion, oh, be still and behold Him. Behold the King Jesus. We get that opportunity tonight. Let's sing this.
sing this, Jesus, Son of God. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the Lamb, the roaring lion. Oh, be still and behold, Jesus, Alpha, Jesus, Alpha and Omega, our God, the risen Savior. Oh, be still and behold Him. Let's read the offering prayer together. Oh, Father, giver of all, Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. All things have passed
kids are Isaias, Diego, and Gemma, and I sing and hang out here a lot, so good to see you tonight. Um, and we're going to read from the Lord's Word here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. The word of the Lord and the people said, you may take a seat, friends. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Weak, weak. How are you? Oh, come on. So you want to talk about the devil? Not, yeah, that's not as many woos. Hey, thanks for choosing to come to church over a hog game. You got your priorities right. Well done, good and faithful. Uh, my name's Colin. I serve with our small groups here. Uh, we're in Ephesians, if you haven't been with us. So if you want a Bible, a device, or your Ephesians book, we'll be in the last passage here, starting in Ephesians 6, 10. Have you enjoyed our time in Ephesians? Yeah, has it been, it's been, should we do it again? Just reset it all over again? I hope so. Hey, real quick, briefly, if you haven't been with us or you knew, um, this is just a recap of where we've been. Paul first writes to the church in Ephesus, considering their position with Christ, that they're seated in the heavenly realms. Next, he moves to their new life, their walk with Christ in this life, in their worship and in their relationships. And then tonight, he tells us a new posture, not to sit, not necessarily to walk, but to stand against the principalities and powers of darkness. And as we approach tonight's topic um, concerning wrestling with demons, there's three movements I kind of want us to take, three, three objectives for our time this evening. Number one is a lens, because I think most of us, when we approach this topic, we have one hand over an eye and we're missing out on the full perspective. So we want a lens, and that lens is that could we approach this topic the way that Jesus and the biblical authors approach this topic? Number two, we got a question that we're going to pursue an answer for. And then lastly, number three, is we're going to practice something that we could leave this place with to fight our enemy well. So um, this topic makes me very uncomfortable. I don't know about you. It makes me uncomfortable. One reason is because I don't like conflict. <laughs> Uh, I am a flighter. I am not a fighter. Ask my wife. She can tell you the stories. Uh, when I encounter conflict, I, I like to move aside or re resolve, have some resolutions like, hey, let's just see this disagreement as a way to love each other well. I don't know how to have conflict with a demon, right? Like, how do you have resolution with a spiritual creature who is set upon your destruction? Is it possible? And it makes me feel kind of like, ugh. The other reason this topic makes me very uncomfortable is our first movement. I have a lens within which I approach this topic, and you do too. See, here in the Western world, movement one, we typically fall in one of two places. And is it, is it depression or is it a demon? Is it, I got fired from my job because I didn't do a good job? Or is it, no, there's like a demonic force and it's controlling the mind of my boss and he let me go, Right? <laughs> And in this, this spectrum that we walk in, in the West right now, we, we have these two different lenses. Go ahead and close one eye. It doesn't matter which one. And imagine, if you can, like this is how you see the world. You're missing out on, on actually a whole piece of reality. You can open up the other eye. And it falls into one of two camps. One is the, the kind of supernatural crowd. I got any charismatics in the room? 
Where are we at? That was lame if you're charismatic. Come on, where's my charismatic at? Come on, we, we have traditions in the church that actually fall into these categories. Because we have some who the emphasis is on God and the heavenly realm and demons and the principalities and we're gonna go and we're gonna take the world for Christ, right? And the emphasis on religion. So you gotta do this and you gotta pray this way and you gotta have this thing. And what tends to happen is actually with that worldview, if that's your perspective of how we're gonna address demons and the Satan, um, you can slowly find yourself into a first century heresy known as Gnosticism. Say Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Gnosticism saw that the physical world was all evil and the spiritual world was the good stuff. And we still see that today because we talk about dying and we talk about let's get to heaven, but we don't focus on heaven and earth coming to one with new glorified bodies. It still exists. And so in this worldview, when we put this lens on, we find ourselves with there's some secret knowledge. You got to learn to pray this way and, and know this thing and be able to, to see the demon hiding behind that and this and this. And it's just, it gets messy, doesn't it? Or if you're like me, you probably fall on the other side, where I have a bent towards reason. And ever since post the Enlightenment, we, uh, we, we uh, Europeans and Westerners, this is how we view the world. And it's not religion that's gonna save us. No, 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 it's scientific discovery. So it's not about necessarily if there's spiritual, mystic beings behind everything. They might exist, they might not, but this is the agnosticism. Those things may exist, but they do not have any weight in the world around us today. So for a struggle I know very well, depression, is it that I'm tired and I'm sad and I had a bad day and I'm just working through some mental and emotional feels? Yeah. Or is it that there's a demon who just keeps punching me in the soul and reminding me of what, what a loser I am? You see, do you feel that tension that, that we, we hold when we approach this topic? And so what I want to invite us to do tonight is actually to take on the lens that Jesus and the biblical authors have. See, when they talked about reality, I think it was actually a more true version of it. And so not this, this kind of supernatural over there and natural over here. No, when we look at the biblical authors and Jesus, this is how they see not just the world, but, but truth and reality as it is. We have a triune creator, infinite God, who, who's not within the creative order. No, he's actually outside of it. And then he has the, the heavens that are made, the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. And within the spiritual realm, there are what are called Elohim. That is the, the Hebrew word for spiritual beings, spiritual creatures. And not only do we have the, the heavenly realm, we also have the earthly realm, that God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he populates them. With these creatures. And so we have Adam, that is mankind, human, us. And we have uh, in the heavenly realm, these spiritual beings that somewhere along the line, we don't know exactly where, it doesn't really matter. But what we know is that there are some of these Elohim who chose to remain loyal to this creator, infinite, holy, good God. And there are those who chose to go disloyal, to try and take his throne for themselves, and they exist now in anarchy, and they have invited human beings to partner with them in that rebellious project. And so what we find in, in the biblical authors and in Jesus's worldview is that we have a, a God who creates us for good and for beauty and to dwell with him in this world and in this life, and not just to like hang out in paradise, sipping something good to drink, fill in the blank, this is 
a church so you can drink whatever you want. The, the hope would be that we would partner with him. We would work with him in this life. What was it that he asked Adam and, Adam and Eve to do there in the garden? To work. Hey, let's name some animals. That's kind of fun. Let's do some cool stuff. And what we see in Genesis chapter three then sets forth the rest of the biblical narrative. But check this out. God is not distant in that. This infinite, holy creator God actually steps into the frame. And we finally see that at the center of Jesus and the biblical author's worldview is that God himself is going to step in and make all things right and all things new. And the biblical authors, if you read almost every uh, book of the Bible, you will see humans and these spiritual creatures interacting with one another, and it wasn't foreign to them. And so what we have to do in, in our kind of two worldviews is let's, let's try to put those off and almost as to put on some glasses, let's approach this topic the way that Jesus does and the way that he teaches us to. And so with that, first, we, we have a lens. We have a God who has created heavenly creatures, earthly creatures. Some exist in worship and in good. Others hell-bent on destruction and corruption of God's good world and us. And we will either live our life enslaved to them or as sons and daughters of the Most High God and in through what he's done in Jesus. How are we doing? Feel good? Yeah, got a lens. We're okay. So we're going to approach this topic now because this is the way that Paul views the scriptures. He doesn't seem to have that tension of I need to figure all this out. One time he actually shares a story in Corinth. He says that I was taken up to the third heaven and whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, but he's not concerned with figuring all of this out and as like some cosmologist would. No, what he's concerned about is do you trust God and will you follow Jesus in this life? And as followers of Jesus, if we're going to live this life following him, it's probably best that we have his view of reality. And so Paul continues there to the church in Ephesus. Look with me in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, again, the, the English here can miss it out. It is become, be made strong in the Lord. Now, as a, a American who like, man, when I think of warfare, I think of like two opposite equal enemies and we're about to duke it out, right? That is not how this works in the Bible. And hopefully, as you see tonight, as we pursue this question, that this is not how God's already won. The victory is his. We're not battling an enemy that, that there's an equal opportunity to dethrone the king. <laughs> but we get dethroned regularly. So we be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy. And so here's the first of Paul's commands. Be strong in the who? Lord, our strength, is it my ability to fight some demons? No. Did you know that in Ephesus, there's actually pretty well known to this church, a crew named the Sons of Sceva. You heard about these guys? Seven sons of a chief, chief priest there in Ephesus. And uh, in Acts chapter 19, this is recorded where the Sons of Sceva heard what Paul and the saints in Ephesus were doing right around the temple of Artemis of casting out these demons and wrestling with them. And they seemed to be having like some pretty like, just good wins. And so the sons of Sceva find this demon-possessed man and they go into his house. Now this is a seven to one ratio. So seven people, raise your hand. 
form of volunteers. Okay, let's stand up. If you raise your hand, would you stand? Everyone give our volunteers a round of applause. All right. Now, these are some strong people, right? Let's see the muscles, Chet. Come on. Where are they at? Hey. He can, I think he could wrestle somebody, right? Okay, let's say these seven people go into that house with that demon. What do you think is going to happen? Are we going to win? Y'all can take a seat. The sons of Sceva walk out naked and bleeding. It's in the Bible. It's, it's scripture. I don't know the last time you saw a fight. If you go into the fight clothed and looking good and you come out of the fight, seven of you naked and bleeding, how'd you do? Not great, right? So, so this, this causes me to, to move. We have this lens that the world that Jesus saw, the reality he saw. Can you and I win in a fight against a demon? Paul continues, know your enemy against the devil. Now I have, I have some bones to pick. The devil, the Satan, even Lucifer are not names. Those are titles. So oftentimes, again, if we were to close our eyes and go back to our worldview, we hear devil and what do we think about? Horns, hail, pitchfork, really creepy creature. Maybe if you've gone into the Hollywood realm of demonic movies, you have different understandings. A lot of those are actually rooted much, much more in Greek mythology than it is anything to do with the Bible. The devil, the Satan, Lucifer, these are titles. I think it's really beautiful. Names are significant in the scriptures. Did you know that? So when you see a name in scripture, it's actually communicating something about that name. And I think it's amazing and very fascinating that the biblical authors do not give dignity to these spiritual creatures of getting a name. They get titles. The adversary, the enemy, the rulers, principalities, powers of this dark world. But they don't get the dignity of getting a name. And so our enemy, this adversary, he's the, the accuser, the tempter, the god of this age, the evil one, master of lies and manipulation. And that is the one who we struggle against. And he has three schemes. When Paul says schemes there, he's talking about a military strategy. The devil's schemes have been the same ever since the very beginning of the, the biblical narrative. To deceive, to tempt, and to accuse. To deceive you, to say, hey, God is holding out on you. You're actually missing out on something really good because God said this, that's not true, why don't you try this? And then the temptation. Hey, why don't you forget being a worshiper of God, why don't you actually become a God? And then the accusation. You fool. How dare you? Aren't you so ashamed? You should probably go hide because God's gonna tear you apart. Deceit, accusation, temptation. This is, these are the schemes that he's still at play within our minds and hearts today. So uh, the question becomes a little more complicated. It's not just now, can you and I win a fight against a demon, right? The question now is, can you and I win a fight against the ruler of demons? What do you think? Maybe lean to your neighbor and be like, I'm not quite sure yet. I thought I knew, but now I don't know. John Mark Comer, any fans? Oh, he, have you read this one yet? He wrote this book called Live No Lies. That's the title of the book. And the whole premise, it's beautiful, around the three enemies of your soul we've already talked about with Paul in Ephesians. The world, the flesh, the devil. 
What John Mark does throughout that book is he identifies each of these that are at work behind the scenes of human evil. First is the the devil, the adversary, and his whole strategy is to lie, it's to deceive, it's deceptive ideas, it's a battle of the mind. Fascinating enough, usually when Paul calls us to, to do war against the enemy, it starts with the thoughts. So we have this devil, the adversary, who has lies that play against our art desires, our sexuality, food, our careers, our relationships, that these good desires God has created actually begin to get out of order where now they themselves become little gods that we worship. And then we live in a society, the world, that normalizes this kind of behavior. And John Mark does a really beautiful job as he says that Satan puts the head, uh, puts into the heads of humans lies, ideologies, ideas of why worship God when you could become one. And out of that, there's a hopeless attempt that we call human history. Because behind our money, our poverty, our abuse, our wars, the sins of prostitutions, of slavery, A long, terrible story of men and women trying to find something other than God to satisfy our souls. This is a life enslaved to sin. One of my favorite saints, Ignatius of Loyola, he defines sin as this, that it is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. So are you following this? Do you see the way the schemes of the enemy? Can you see that in your own life? How about in our our world? And so Paul then goes on to continue. So be strong in the Lord. That's his first command. Can you and I win a fight against a demon is our question. Let's see what Paul says. Next, he, he tells us a little bit more about who we're in the struggle with. Now, Matt Natzel and I did a 30-minute footnote episode. Um, footnotes is where we like to take something we wish we had more time to talk about here. And we did 30 minutes dedicated to each one of these titles that, that Paul lists out of the powers and authorities. And, and I encourage you this next week to give it a listen. But, but in short, um, Paul is inviting us to, to know our enemy. Not to obsess over them, not to worship them, but to be aware. And a few things. One, that, that term struggle that our struggle, this is a wrestling term. It's the only time in the, the scriptures it's used. It would have been common for the church in Ephesus because they would have been familiar with the, the Roman Colosseum. And when you get into that, it is hand-to-hand close combat. Getting your hand around the neck of your opponent and bringing them to the ground in victory. That's what Paul is communicating here. This is not distant warfare. This is intimate, close-to-close, sweaty, gross, bloody stuff. And our opponent is not who? What does he say? Flesh and blood. Our opponent is not someone who, who has this like we do. Actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's going to call you for enemy love amongst human beings. That is to forgive those who persecute you. And so our enemy primarily is it's not a person. It's not a political leader. It's not someone who has flesh and blood like us. No, ultimately, for the follower of Jesus, it's a whole squad of rebellious Elohim, spiritual beings 
who want nothing in this world but to dishonor God and invite you into that deprivation project. Now, Paul is not saying that all evil is just because of demons. No, no, no. Again, put on your lens here. Paul is very aware that there were two different beings responsible for welcoming evil into God's world. Spiritual rebels and human rebels. But Jesus has come that he could restore those humans, fallen humans, who could bring into right relationship with him to dwell in this life with him forever. And so my question continues. Because apparently now it's not just can you and I win in a fight against a demon. Chet, I think you'd have a good shot. Not perfect, but a good shot. And now it's not just can you and I win in a fight against the ruler of demons. Now it is can you and I in hand-to-hand combat win in a fight against the ruler of demons and his entire squad of demons? How are we feeling? Is the answer becoming a little bit more clear for you? Maybe just give me a head shake which direction you're leaning. Can you and I win in a fight here? Which then Paul addresses something really interesting, which is, okay, so if I'm gonna fight these powers and principalities of the dark world, what do I wear? You ever thought about that? What do you wear to fight a demon? Any ideas? I mean, do like this? Is this enough? I don't know. Like, do I need bubble wrap? Like, is it the like go to the like the church play the the Christian bookstore and everybody get the little armor stuff, right? The plastic. You think we've got a shot? Here's what I I'm finding in, in a lot of study of this text, and I think the enemy's twisted it really well. Because typically, when we approach this text of warfare, um, one, we don't put on the lens of the biblical authors in Jesus. We put on the lens of the West, and we think of warfare as something that we can accomplish. We got this, right? So my strength, my ability. So yeah, give me the, give me the helmet of salvation, and give me the breastplate of righteousness, and the sword of the Spirit. And we think we could get out there and, and go, but question Is our enemy a physical reality? So why on earth would we think that this armor is a physical reality? No, what what you're going to find is that Paul, for sure, Paul is sitting in a prison cell in Rome right next to a Roman soldier who's dressed like this. And you look at some commentaries and they're like, Paul was looking at this soldier and was like, oh, he's got a helmet on. That's kind of cool. Helmet of salvation. Ephesus, do that problem with that is Paul's world view. Paul knows the Hebrew scriptures very, very well. And he's also 11 different times in the New Testament used this word in Deo, to put on. And every time you're putting something on, he uses this, put on, clothe yourselves, take on the mind of Christ. This is not something you physically do. This is something that happens within your conscious mind. You follow? And so when, when Paul is saying, hey, put on the full armor of God, Paul is talking about God himself. Because if you go back to Isaiah, you would see that Paul, who's very aware of the prophets, Isaiah uses the exact language, doesn't he? Look on the screen, Isaiah, 50, uh, Isaiah 59, 17. Back one more, Kim, I'm sorry. That God puts on righteousness as a breastplate. 
and the helmet of salvation on his head. See, in this passage of Isaiah, Israel has failed to join God in his restoration project, and they have continued to, to, after injustice, after injustice, after injustice, to cause ruin and chaos with these spiritual beings. And so you know what God's gonna do? I'm gonna come fight for you. I'm gonna put on the armor, and I will be the divine warrior king who has victory and leads you into liberation from being enslaved to sin and these demons. And it screams of the gospel and the good news of Jesus, doesn't it? Look with me in, in, in the next slide on this metaphor of the belt of truth. Who is it that is the way, the truth, and the life? You and me? The, the breastplate of righteousness that Jesus is the righteous one, the, the fitted feet ready for peace to proclaim the good news that Jesus is our prince of peace, a shield of faith. He's the author and perfecter of it, a helmet of salvation, that he is the provider of salvation and the sword of the spirit that is not the word of God. It is actually the proclamation of the good news with which Jesus himself says, I have come to bind up what is broken and to proclaim freedom for all. To put on the full armor of God, friend, is to put on Christ. It is to be clothed in him. It is to identify with Christ. Fascinating enough, this is actually the same word Paul uses in baptism. That when we have been baptized in Christ, our whole life now is identified with him as we are filled with his spirit. So, a lens. Let's follow the biblical authors in Jesus here. There are demons and there are princes and powers of darkness who are animating evil and we can be complicit with them or we can put on Christ. We can identify with our warrior king who on the cross paid the penalty and at the grave disarmed these powers and principalities. So to return to our question, can you and I win in a fight against some demons and their rulers? I hope by now you know. No, you and I cannot. But there is one who can. And there is one who has. See, what I think Paul is trying to tell us here is that in our spiritual conflict and this war and this struggle against the princes and powers of this dark age, it is not your best effort, your heroic actions, you doing anything that's going to defeat them. And maybe you know this really well because you've been battling that, that lie that you're not good enough or that God's holding out on you. And so that desire for sex that desire for control or power or money, and it's getting twisted and you're giving into it, the same pornography or the same thing just over and over, and then the accuser, he's just like, of course, go hide in the bushes. God's not for you. That's his strategy every time, and I don't know about you, it works. No, friends, for us, victory is found in moment-by-moment dependence on and obedience to our victorious risen king, amen? That we are living in, we are living in enemy-occupied uh, territory, aren't we? That on this earth, 
That, that's, that's what the world is. We have a real enemy, and Christianity is the story of how a rightful king has come into that enemy territory and disarmed them. That's what Paul writes to Colossians, that Christ on the cross disarmed these powers and principalities, which means any power they have now, you're giving to them. And then Paul tells us, this is what I want you to do. This is how you're gonna fight against this struggle against the powers and principalities. Be strong in the Lord and pray in the Spirit. That's it. In our struggle against sin and evil and death and destruction, strength coming from God, his mighty power, and we pray in the Spirit because prayer for us is resistance. Prayer is our resistance movement. That when it comes to battling this enemy, C.S. Lewis says that there's two equal and opposite errors we can fall into concerning the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence, to say, nah, they don't exist. That's, that's in a Bible and as an ancient Near East thing. That has nothing, that does not bear weight on me today. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So we're looking for the demon around every corner and we're gonna go and we're gonna crush their strongholds by our effort. They themselves are equally pleased by both er errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So you have three options concerning the devils. One, you could dismiss them. Nah, that's fine. They don't really have that much weight on me. Two, you could obsess over them. But they get all the credit for all the bad in the world and humans don't get any. Or three, you could do what the biblical authors say. Submit to God, come up, humble yourself under his mighty power and resist. And by that, we mean pray, that prayer is our resistance strategy. So, a lens. Let's view the world the way that Jesus and the biblical authors do. We have a very real enemy, but more than that, he's been disarmed by a very real and good king, yeah? Two, we got a question, you and I, cannot win against these things, but there is one who has and can, and we can dwell and abide with him. So three, we pray. That prayer is our resistance. That we resist the enemy by enjoying time with God. And as the band comes back out, um, did you know that singing is actually a form of prayer? That when we sing these songs, this is actually a way that we're expressing our dependence and our gratitude on God. And when we pray, it does three things for us. One, it recognizes who has the authority, where the power is coming from. Uh, Jesus' disciples one time were trying to cast out a demon. You remember that story, Larry? They're going and trying to cast it out, and they come to Jesus, and they say, we couldn't do it. And what, is, what does Jesus say? You're putting your belief and your trust in yourself. This kind can only come out by prayer. Prayer recognizes God's power and his authority in our life. Next is that it, it, it renews our minds of God's purposes, that we're transformed, as Paul writes to Romans, by the renewal of our mind. And so where the enemy lies, we take that captive and we say, is that true, Lord? I'm enjoying time with you. And then we remind ourselves, no, that's not. And lastly, prayer invites us to rest in God's presence. We don't have to get out there with our little silly self-made armor and try to fight an invisible enemy we can't see or win against. What we can do is choose the better portion and rest at his feet. And I don't know if you remember, Gary Oliver taught, and he gave us this method of prayer, to pause, to 
just take a moment, or even right now, to take a deep breath in. Let it out. And then to rejoice, to give thanks in any circumstance, no matter what you're walking through. To ask, to come to God and say, Lord, I have needs. And so do the people around me and so does the city because it looks like the enemy and the darkness are just having their way. So I just ask for a little bit of your light to shine through in that. And then we yield, we submit, we come up under him. And Jesus, when asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, you know what he told them? This is how you pray. And what I'd like to do tonight is I don't know how the enemy, I know that he has, but I don't know how those spiritual beings who were disloyal are messing with your thoughts and your hearts and your behaviors tonight. But I do know that there is a God who wants to welcome you into his arms and to invite you to be with him. And so we're gonna take the posture of the disciples and pray the way that Jesus instructed us to. And so in this moment, would you just take your time line by line, slowly, And let's spend some time in resistance against the enemy's work in this room and outside of it. And then we'll close in singing some more prayers to our God. Would you pray with me?
Closes. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. He's going to come tell you everything, Ephesus, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. And I'm sending him to you for this very reason, for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from the God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. You know the next time we hear about the church of Ephesus in the New Testament? It's in Revelation, isn't it? Jesus writes a letter to that church in Ephesus, and he says, I know your works and your deeds and how faithful you've been to me, but I have this against you. You forgot your first love. So as we leave this place, friends, I invite you, hey, what if as we enter into Advent, what if you just took a chapter of Ephesians again this week to close this book together, just remind ourselves of our first love and his invitation to put him on in this life. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord and the people of God said, family, we love you. Let's go struggle well.